All right, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Raw Knowledge Podcast with your host, as ever, myself, Alex Connor. And we're back today with another guest in a fantastic facility and studio, as you can probably hear and see. And I'm with Brad Shepard. Brad, thanks for joining me. Pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure, my friend. I feel, I must admit, like I'm, uh, I'm on the Joe Rogan podcast at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> You're loving the sounds, aren't you? <laughs> I tell you what, I'm, uh, I'm like a kid in a candy shop right now. This, <laughs> this audio is absolutely phenomenal. Um, as always, to set the scene, let's start with uh, who you are, what you do, and more importantly, why you do it. Yeah, thanks, mate, and a pleasure to be invited on here. Um, so where are... Right now, I run a company called Trainer HQ. I run that with my business partner, Jason Ubanowicz. We've been in the fitness industry for well over 25 years, and we've run this business for the last 14 years. And what we're all about is assisting trainers, coaches to build a more profitable, more successful business, stop spinning their wheels, and, and be able to get more freedom and more out of what they want out of the industry. Oh, fantastic. And we're going to sort of dive more into the specifics of that as we go. But before we do, let's perhaps take a trip down memory lane yep. uh, to give a bit of context. Um, <laughs> and uh, let's look at the younger Brad and, and where you started yep. and perhaps your your initial beliefs and what you led you to where you are today. And we can, we can be as detailed as we like. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I guess from my perspective, you know, I kicked off many, many years ago when I was 12 years old was when I actually got my first barbell set. And um, I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. I was playing rugby league, you know, got the barbell set because I wanted to put on some muscle at the age of 12. And really at that point in time, I didn't really know that that was going to lead me on a, a lifetime journey of, of, you know, pumping iron, lifting weights, the fitness industry, all the rest of it. I'm f I turned 47 this year. So definitely been a long journey now through that, that start by the age of 15 when I was in grade 10 at high school, you know, I was competing in my first bodybuilding competition so you know whilst the other kids were out there you know riding skateboards in the afternoon eating meat pies for lunch I was eating tuna and rice every day and hit the gym every afternoon so what what that built in me was a, a love affair with the fitness industry with with training with exercising and you know I remember from a young age you know my teenage years designing exercise programs diets all the rest of it for friends and family members and it just seemed like a bit of a natural progression for me to start to move into the fitness industry so by the age of 17 I started placing at national bodybuilding championships and then at the age of 21 I was fortunate enough to win the then junior Mr Australia bodybuilding championship and so at the age of 21, 1995 as the newly crowned junior national bodybuilding champion the obvious thing seemed to be back then was to go and commence my business as a personal trainer so that was pretty much sort of like the introduction to the fitness industry for me. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I resonate with the uh, the tuna uh, <laughs> and, and, and building out programs. It's it's pretty much the staple, you know. The the, the bodybuilders have kept the tuna industry afloat, you know, pun intended. Now this yeah. is uh, this is definitely true, my friend. Um, there's uh, there's a lot of things we probably did back then, and we go, oh, maybe it wasn't quite the best thing, but nonetheless, it was uh, it was interesting. I did have a colleague of mine actually, but he 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 didn't like eating tuna, but he realised that tuna was critical. Um, as, as, a, as a bodybuilder right and this is back in the days before protein powder was used to taste terrible back in the day the first protein powder was yeah. egg white albumin and stuff we used to have and it was my awful. dad will be nodding along now <laughs> <laughs> well he used to put the tuna inside the protein drink and put it in the blender and, and churn it up and then just 
guzzle it down because he thought I could eat the tuna, you know. So <laughs> the, the, there was a bit of a badge of honour, I think, which still remains in the hardcore industry. Like, no, you eat the bland food. Yeah. I, I also yeah. remember just eating a bag of salad when I was trying to get shredded because I thought, you know, if you eat the greens, uh, yep. you just get the leans. But absolutely, <laughs> not not the case. Um, Brad, tell us perhaps maybe the the protagonist uh, that sort of led you to maybe furthering your education or maybe to re uh, re sort of phrase that one of the main roadblocks that you first hit when you mm. started in the industry that yep. you were like you know what maybe this is not what i thought yeah um and and maybe there's more to this and then how that sort of led you on to furthering your knowledge yeah 100 uh, percent. so you know as the newly crowned you know junior champion got the ripped muscles all the rest of it i thought i'm going to kill it in this business of course and and, and back then 1995 personal training in australia was still in some ways, you might say in its infancy, it was in its early days, and it was somewhat seen as a bit of a, an elitist thing. You know, that's what people do in Hollywood and all the rest of it. And when I kicked off, I really struggled. So at the beginning, I had no uh, strategy. I had no idea about business. I had no idea on how to attain clients. I didn't understand marketing or lead generation. And when I was fortunate enough, and I guess lucky enough to, to get someone in front of me, I had no process on, on how to start, start somebody, sign them up. I was discounting. I'd do whatever it took to sign somebody up. So, you know, although I was really pumped about, you know, being able to help and assist people, I just had no business knowledge and no business acumen. And so when I look back, really, I spent around about the first five years in the industry. Uh, and I, I refer to it back in those days as very much a roller coaster journey because, like I said, I struggled in the beginning to get clients and, and, and slowly but surely I got my first client and, that led on to my, my second person and, and they probably referred my third person and obviously I was doing a good job because these people kept coming back. And over that five or so years, what I noticed is that there'll there be some times on that roller coaster journey where things were going pretty good. You know, I'd have a have a bunch of clients on board and then for no particular reason, I'd have one, two or three people finish up and that would present for me a very stressful situation because that meant an immediate you know, drop in income and revenue uh, more importantly, a, a, a battering on, on my own sort of, you know, personal view on what I'm doing. Hey, am I in the right space? Can I actually make a go of this? Am I any good? You know, all those questions would start popping up. And so those first five years, I'd say, were very challenging because although I knew that I was doing something that I, I loved, what happened is the amount of, you know, income or revenue that I was bringing in just didn't match up to that. And I, I questioned many times over, over that stage, and I was in my early 20s then, is this for me? Can I actually make a goal of it? In this industry that I love so much and from the age of 12, I've, I'd fallen in love with every single aspect of it, you know? So very challenging. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of things I think are going to resonate with a lot of the listeners there, um, especially even myself. You know, you do, you question yourself, you have these ebbs and flows where you're going great, you think I've got this, I'm all over it, and then yeah. all of a sudden it just takes a few clients or a couple of adversities to, to make you question, yes. you know, have you got the minerals, for lack of better words? Yeah. And I think it is normal, and I think it's good for people to to listen to that from someone who is now a lot more established with a lot more knowledge because it is part and parcel of the journey and the course. Mm. Um, something that I'd like to dive into and dissect more is you did a, a, a talk the other day at EMF, right, which, yes. which is where we met, you know, yep. and, and you went over a, a few of these sort of key points, if you will, and things that we'll go in today in much more detail. And one of the things you said, you mentioned a book, Resources, right? Mm -hmm. And um, Seven Highly Effective Habits of the Most Successful People. I butchered the name. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Um, but ultimately, what I want to talk about is 
were there any initial mentors or books aside from that one that yeah. helped you actually iron out these systems and processes yeah. to a point where you were able to maintain more consistency with your income and perhaps that's that's part of a bigger question which we'll get into but actually getting to that point where whether it was five years or ten years and now you've got this okay this is how i need to run it yep. to ensure i'm bringing in this six figures etc or whatever it was every month however you want to break it down yeah yeah 100 percent. And, and you're exactly right the book reference to is the seven habits of highly effective people uh, author's name the late great stephen covey and, and once again, I reflect back on that book. What, what actually happened was when I first kicked off as a personal trainer, somebody that I knew and, and, and respected, they actually gave me a copy of the book. They said, hey, Brad, you look like a you know, pretty young, you know, motivated sort of fellow and you're embarking on this personal training thing. Here's a book I think you should read. And, you know, I was like, yeah, thanks. You know, someone gives you a book for free. And, you know, with all good intentions, I thought, you know, I'm going to hook into that book. I'm going to read it. And, of course, I took it home and, and, and put it straight on the bookshelf. And interestingly enough, I, I would have walked past that book dozens, hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. And, and, and with all good intentions, would say to myself on, on the occasion, I'm going to get to that book shortly, you know. Now, interestingly enough, after that five-year rollercoaster journey of embarking on the industry, um, I had the, was fortunate enough to meet my first coach, my first business coach, mentor, someone who could start to show me there's a different way to do this in this industry. And I was unpacking a lot of my struggles and, and frustrations and so forth. And based on a few of the things that I'd spoken about in that initial meeting, <laughs> this person said to me, um, look, I've, I've got this great book, I think, you might benefit from reading and of course you know which one it was it was the seven habits of highly effective people i said i've got that book he said have you read it i said no <laughs> he said well there's your first there's your first bit of homework and so you know for me like something like that i, I really hold that dear to my heart as a, as a metaphor for all the things I, I i didn't know didn't do didn't action back then i've still got the book today it's it's got post-it notes and highlighter and dog ears and all the rest of it. So that, that part, of I so in terms of resources, you know, all that, that book doesn't hold the secret for everybody, for everything in life. I look at it and I really cherish, you know, moments like that. And then the next part, you, you mentioned about actually having somebody and, and the first business coach I found, well, that person kind of found me, had this little, you know, this little flyer attached up to the local swimming pool personal trainers do you want more clients question mark and i'm like okay what's all this about I had no idea had a, had a name and a phone number you know and i was like okay well called him up and this person starts screening and interviewing me and i'm going okay where's this conversation going long story short this person was a, a business coach and uh, so we sat down and, and like i indicated this person very quickly saw a lot of the things that i just you know wasn't i didn't understand didn't know wasn't doing and Although back then, after five years in the industry, I'd considered myself quite a good technical personal trainer. I could turn up, I could get people in shape. And, you know, people kept coming back. All the, re you know, all those things. So I was doing a good job. And even after at the five year mark, what what had also happened was that I'd got myself quite busy. So I'd been through this roller coaster journey, but then I got to the point of you know keeping a good consistent book of of clientele. However, I was starting to get on that verge of you know, burnout. So I was working you know, back then from 5 a.m. till 9 p.m. every day. And we didn't have 24-hour gyms back in the day. But if we did, I'm sure I would have been booking clients at 3 a.m., 10 p.m., all the rest of it. But I would, you know, I'd be the first person in the gym and, and the last person to leave and you know, doing that whole day. And I wore it as a bit of a badge of honour. You know, and I used to say I'd train anyone, anywhere, anytime. And early mornings, you know, late nights, weekends, you name it, I was too afraid to 
put up my prices. I was too afraid to do things like say no to people in fear that I might upset them. I had no strategy for increasing my fees or my rates. So fortunately, meeting people like that and then people who could show me, hey, mate, Number one, you're in business. That's, that's, that's the most important thing. And a feature of what you do is actually turn up and, and physically train people and do that exchange of time for money. So you know, those sort of moments, when I think back to them, I really cherish that. Yeah, and I think there is something to be said in the early days about you know putting the hours in. Mm-hmm. You've got to do things which perhaps you may not do you know, later on after speaking to a lot of people who are successful in any, any realm of business, whether that's, you know, a bookstore, whether it's being an author, a creator, you know, sometimes it's a bit unorthodox in the first, you know, early days, you know, you work in long hours, you know, yep. people often ask me, oh, you don't, you don't do this hour of the morning anymore. I said, well, you know, I have the luxury to say no to that because mm. it just doesn't work for me. But in the early days, you do what you've got to do because, you know, you've got to get your name out there. You've got to build your credibility. You've got to get your experience. I know you're particularly passionate about how to help people avoiding burnout. Before we digress down that avenue, yep. I'd like to talk more about some of the systems and processes that you implemented in the early days specifically to, to lead into you know working more of the hours you wanted. But for example, now to, to reference a, a 20 hour work week, yeah. you know, putting your prices up and yes. all of that rather than, and this is probably part of, you know, avoiding burnout rather than, you know, a lot of PTs are like, oh, you know, I'm at the whim of my clients. I've got to train them at this time. I can only charge this much. Yep. Uh, what were some of those key, I guess, systems and processes that you implemented uh, that were game changers, for lack of better words? Yeah, 100%. So for, for me, when I'd hit that spot and I, I'd, I'd consider myself to be, you know, quite fully booked out doing 40, uh, back in the day I used to do one-hour sessions and that was pretty common. Got myself up to doing 40 one-hour sessions per week and, you know, although that was good, there was revenue coming in and I, I'd hit that spot of feeling, I guess, uh, comfortable or secure what I, I knew is that there was no future in doing that in terms of, mm. you know, burnout was, was on the horizon. And I, what, what were you charging when you first started? Oh, when I first started personal training, I was $30 for a one hour session. Yeah. And five, was, five years down the track, I hadn't, well, I wasn't charging much more than that. So and was that standard in Australia? Cause you that, did mention that ba- the other day. back then. Yeah. About $30 for one hour back in 1995 was around about the going rate for one of a better terminology. Yeah. And so, once again, I had no strategy for putting a price against my time. What did I do? I, I asked around a couple of the people that I knew that were personal training. What did they say? It was 30 bucks for an hour. And I thought, oh, well, you beauty. That's what you must get paid in this industry. You, know? you beauty. So, <laughs> I love it. Love it. Uh, fascinatingly enough, what I noticed in this day and age is that still happens. So some, someone is now graduating currently as a, as a personal trainer, as a fitness professional, as a coach. And going, okay, what can a PT earn in this country in the year 2021? And they go, okay, it's well, it's 70 or it's $80 a session. Okay, cool, that's where I must set my rates then, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're very big on going, make sure that you, you know, find a way to, to value yourself against the service that you deliver and the experience that you have for people. So, but yeah, that was the going rate back then. But after five years, I really had no strategy for increasing rates. I was too afraid to do it with any of my clients in fear that, you know, I might upset them or they might do less sessions or stop coming back or all the rest of it so it wasn't until i hit that mark when i realized that hey there's a different way of looking at business i've got to think as a business owner first and so what it meant for me was that i could start to to, to move on and so you know to answer the question about what what was the how did i start to get myself out of that rut it was thinking like differently business owner well um, i need to have you know systems I need to have processes or people where I could start to leverage myself. And 
and that was the first concept that was like start to start to put some systems into place increase my fees start to put some policies and procedures in place and then that set me up where I could hire my first personal trainer and so for me that the turning point was you know not long after I'd I call it the first five years was kind of like my my apprenticeship or my trial period, mm-hmm. and then when mm-hmm. I got to that yeah. point, it was like, hey, cool, I'm in a position now where I can hire my first PT, and, and which I did, and then I, that enabled uh, me to hire my second PT and my third PT. And I, I did this all underneath the roof of a commercial gym, so I never owned a gym, um, a studio, or any of that sort of stuff. I always operated underneath the roof of a commercial fitness facility where I paid a rental fee for myself to be there, and and then you know my, my team as well. And then over time, I, I built that up. So I built it up to having a team of 13 trainers all underneath the roof of one facility. Uh, we, we altered our service to 45-minute sessions at some point along that timeline. And we got that up to doing over 250, 45-minute sessions per week over the team. So we, we built a strong model and a strong business. And so for me, it meant that I could, by leveraging my time, meant that I could start to do a bit, little bit less in terms of the hands-on turning up the sessions and a bit more on growing the business. Mm. Because mm. that seems to be um, a bit of a crossroads for a lot of trainers. There's mm. a couple of ways to to grow your business. One of them is by, for lack of better words, we can we can grow vertically, we can grow laterally. Mm. I'd like to talk about both here. So a conversation. Well, I've had many conversations with a lot of trainers over the years, and you know, looking at well, which way do I go? Yep. You know, do I want to do I want to bring trainers underneath me, or or do I want to somehow scale with product services and and things like what we're doing now? Yes. And for me, I found it was the latter rather than the former. But I'd love to maybe explore if you've worked with people on both ends and maybe what some of the pros and cons are with both for the listeners to maybe discern a little bit more or to gather more information because there will be some more advanced trainers here or even trainers that are starting out that maybe go, well, you know, where is that trajectory? Or is there a pathway for me forward in, in either direction? Does that make sense? Yeah, makes makes one hundred percent sense. And the, the short answer is that the beauty of the the, the space that we're in in twenty twenty one is it does give you the luxury to choose, and you can have the best of both worlds in all these areas. So the short story is, yeah, you can you can follow whichever pathway that you choose, and there is uh, so much opportunity for those of you to do that. So to give you one example, we I was working with a, a personal trainer, and he was at the spot where he was you know doing. Two and a half, three grand a week by himself. He was in a good spot. He'd, he'd got his charge out rate at a pretty comfortable level. He'd sort of tick the boxes on every level, and he's like, "Okay, now it's time for me to hire myself a, a personal trainer because I want to go to that next level, and I want to derive some passive income. I want to bring somebody through and mentor them as part of my system." So, but what actually happened? The gym that he was operating out of, they just had a policy where he couldn't actually do that because that was just. out of their choice you know and he was like okay cool now i'm faced with this crossroad of Mm. either a um, i move which i don't want to do because i love the facility and everything's going great um, or or b what what else do i do you know and so after a bit of brainstorming what we identified was that he was also building an online offering in terms of his, his service in his business and what it meant for him was that he was able to, we were able to put in the effort to actually build the online side of the business and then hire the trainer in the online side of the business. So I guess in his mind, it was like the way you hire somebody is to bring them on as a physical person and they, they physically train people in the gym and all the rest of it. But it's like, no, it doesn't have to happen that way. And the beauty of the, the modern era is that he was able to leverage off that, build his online offering and have his online coach as part of his team. <laughs> so he's like, well, hold on, now I don't actually have to have these physical trainers anymore. And I'm like, no, not at all, you know. So, 
that's what, that's what I see. And I, I mean, we look at COVID twenty twenty, and you know the mm. Zoom, all the stuff, all the great stuff that happened. You know, the, the word Zoom to many people out there in the general pop was like, was Zoom? Never heard of it before. But now, training and, and, and delivering services and, and so forth, it's, there's just so much opportunity there. Yeah, I think there's a big rise in telehealth, uh, as, as they call it now. You know, even training people live. Yeah, via a Zoom. I, yeah. I know a couple of trainers that do it. One in particular at our gym, and I always see him there. And he's sort of training his client. She's in the garage, and he's there yeah. live. And it's like, well, you can do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think that's that's a great example for a lot of people there. I know, and this is my opinion. Like you know, you've got a lot of red tape, so to speak. Sometimes when you bring in trainers on, and now you're like, if you employ them, now I got to pay them a wage, and they got tax, and they got all these other bloody things. Sure. And sometimes, perhaps even for this particular gentleman you were talking about, maybe that was a blessing in disguise, because now we can go, well, I can disguise the limit there, really, isn't it? Yeah, uh, there's, yeah. There's a lot of successful trainers well, who've got teams of, uh, like, flex success to probably name one all around the world you know yeah. these they've got trainers there and they obviously take a percentage but they feed the clients and the brand name surpasses the you know the, the client flow if you will yeah so we're, when we're coaching our clients and especially people who are running strictly online businesses or have that offering i mean i just tell them to look at what we do at trainer hq because we run a business coaching company we've currently got a staff of 12 or 13 of us there's myself and Jason who run the company together and then we have a team of eight business coaches who deliver the lion's share of their coaching and consulting work. Now, we're based in Brisbane here in Australia. We've got coaches all around the country and we don't have them in our physical office here in Brisbane. They're remote, so effectively we're, we're kind of running an online business. And we might have a coach in Melbourne and we have a client in Perth and we decide that that business coach is the best fit for that particular client because mm. of mm. the skills and attributes and so forth and where that client's heading. So once again, the, the way the modern world enables that to happen. So the people that we're running through that process, we just go, hey, look at what we're doing. <laughs> Let us unpack for you our model and you can put that into place in your business, you know? Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I th and I think, it, if anything, it allows not only a better experience for the client, but also for the business owner, because now you're not sandboxing yourself and going, well, you have to work with Jane because Jane's in your area. It might be like, well, you're a better fit for Mark. Mark happens to be on the UK, but we can still make this work. Absolutely, um, yeah. And then on the flip side, for physical face-to-face -face people that are building teams, I mean, the, the other part to it is what we're very big on is breaking it down step-by-step um, step in terms of, you know, numbers, stats, figures, and so forth. So any of that stuff, uh, you know, we do have some people that view it as a challenge to go, okay, if I've got to hire somebody, I've got all this stuff to consider. But ultimately, when you've got all that system, that stuff set up, it, it should really run quite comfortably. And for most PTs who are operating underneath the roof of a commercial facility, around Australia and, and in many instances around the world, when you have a trainer on and you have that person working for you, doing at minimum five sessions a day, five days a week, which is at minimum 25 sessions a week, and if they're 45-minute sessions, that's only 17.5 hours of work, which is mm. not a heavy workload, as me and you both know. It's but we go at a minimum, if we, if we can keep that as a minimum KPI and we can have that person achieve that within their first three months, there should be a passive income by the time you've taken out GST, uh, paid gym rent, paid the trainer, all the rest of it, a, a, a passive income of, of somewhere starting at around about $500 per week. Mm -hmm. And for many people in that situation, it, that can increase into six, seven, or $800 a week, you know? So then you start to multiply that out. You go, okay, if I can collect $750 a week, you know, passively per trainer, what by the time all these expenses have been paid, and I multiply that to my second trainer, well, there's $1,500 a week. That's now $75,000 a year, you know? 
if I get four trainers, that's now three grand a week. And we're now starting to talk some pretty serious numbers. And so that's, from that perspective, that's where I, I see many of our clients have put that system into place. And that's where the appeal lies. And if you, yeah, one objection we often hear to that is to go, well, hold on, why are these people going to come and work for you when they can go and do it themselves, you know? And the thing I've seen from 25 years in the industry, I know for a fact that there are many coaches, fitness professionals, trainers out there who don't want to run their own business, who don't want to pay a gym rent, who don't want to have the, what they would view as the, you know, the expense, the liability, the responsibility of all this stuff. They don't want to acquire their own clients. What they are is they're great trainers and they want to turn up and they want to be part of something much bigger than themselves, be part of a team, be able to contribute and give back. And so that's what we encourage people to do is you you don't hunt for the next person with Alex's entrepreneurial spirit because you're not going to want to come and work for me. Mm. You're going to be doing it on your own, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What I'm looking for, I'm looking for the person who wants to be part of a team, wants to learn and grow and, uh, you know, if I had trainers over that journey of 13 trainers. I had some of them who moved on, you know, they, they, they'd come to me and they might have done their three or four year stint, so to speak, and say, hey, mate, it's been awesome, loved every minute of it, learnt lots, but I want to go and do this now myself. And you can't stop that. that that's sure. a potential that may happen. But ultimately, if you set up the environment and attract the right person, then it's, it's going to be a win-win scenario. Yeah, it comes down to a bit of profiling and personality types mm, and as you mm. said some people they grow and then they want to fly and yep. you know I'm, I'm thinking as you as you're talking through these um you know examples if you like and of, of when i've experienced it or when i've seen it in other gyms and you sort of see how it operates and how it changes and fluctuates and i think that's probably a salient point mm. you know because like you said the biggest obsection objection would be well why wouldn't someone do this and earn that amount of money but yep. i remember when i first started personal training it was in new zealand many years ago and I started on a wage, you know, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a rent based system. There were larger gyms. I was in a small town in North Island yeah. called Tiamutu. And, you know, I was cleaning toilets. I was running the till. I was doing the group fitness. I was cleaning the equipment, but yeah. I, I personally believe that was great because you got to do everything and it really humbled you. Yes. Um, even though it was the strength gym in yeah. this particular town, it was still very much family owned and there was that sense of community. And I think having that experience really allowed me to go, where do I want to take this? Yes. And one of the early thoughts, which is going to tie back into to what we're talking about was, you know, I was on that gym floor and I was only 17 turned 18. I was still very young at the time. I was studying one year. I started early and I thought, fuck, man, what happens when I want to take a holiday? I, I can't see myself doing this till I'm 40 years old. Yes. You know, and back then I was earning next to no money because I was on a wage and I thought, well, even if I was on commission. So even back then, and people were doing the online unbeknownst to me, you know, it was quite sheltered in New Zealand. I thought there's, there's got to be more to this. Yeah, There's got to be more. Can you talk us through what you were charging at the peak or the heights of your one-on-one coaching? And, and do you still do any now? Or are you now just mainly hands-on with helping other people in, in the mentoring and the day-to-day runnings of Trainer HQ? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, my career in, in the fitness industry as a personal trainer as such went for approximately 20 years. So I did hang up the Lycra, you know, however many years ago, five or so years ago. And um, when I say Lycra, trust me, I wore, wore plenty of Lycra back in the day too. So Leg days, mate. <laughs> <laughs> what days it? You should know. <laughs> and... Um, but yeah, where it kicked off, 30 bucks an hour is where I started charging. Five years down the track really hadn't changed that much. 
And then once I started learning the business systems and the processes, it put me in a position where I could start to really value what I did, mm -hmm. have a look back mm -hmm. at all the you know professional development, all the training that I'd done, and you know I was an avid learner of, of new systems, methodologies, techniques. So what I found myself was doing was I was improving myself technically, becoming a, an outstanding trainer, but I was I wasn't reflecting that in terms of what I was charging myself out for. So. It was like, all right, once I saw the value in what I was supplying for people, it gave me the confidence to say, okay, cool, mate, you are actually worth more than this. So I was able to get my, you know, my rates up to $50 a session and then from $50 a session I got them up to $70 a session and then I was going through the process of hiring trainers and so what I also found out was that if I'm going to charge myself out for $50 a session and then I've got my trainer next to me, and I'm going to charge that person out for 50 bucks a session. Well, what I found very quickly was that people always wanted to train with me. Well, sure. if I can have you for 50 bucks, I'm, I don't want to have that person, right? Mm, makes sense. So I had, I had to have a put a serious enough gap in there that people would make that decision. And, and so, you know, what I found was sort of somewhere in that sort of 20 to $30 was enough to be able to help people. So I could say to them, look, you, you are going to get results with this particular person here, plus going to be saving the 20 or 30 bucks a session so that journey continued for me 70 bucks got it up to 90 bucks and what i found was uh, during that process I, I just kept testing the market and i kept testing you know in my opinion the value that i was delivering to people and, and the 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 service that i was delivering got up to 110 dollars a session and what i found was part of the strategy was to reduce my physical hands-on hours so move from doing 40 one-hour sessions per week get it down to 35 one-hour sessions per week get that down to 30 because when i was on the gym floor training clients what i was struggling doing was you know finding more trainers you know finding more clients building more business systems educating my team all the stuff which was now important as a business owner so it was like all right well up to 110 dollars a session what i still found was that it wasn't providing much in the way of resistance for people starting up. And this is back in around about 2002. So where are we now? We're this is good to give context. Yeah. yeah, so about 20 years ago almost. Yeah. And at $110 a session, people kept booking in. And I'm mm, thinking... That's, that, that's just a underscore that's a lot back then i mean because that's i mean i charge that now i mean you know what i mean and back yes. then that would have been like fuck mm, mm. but you know this is kind of going to digress into where i'm going with this like limiting beliefs you yeah. know yeah yeah and then so from there it was like well i'm thinking what do i need to charge here to sort of train less people and have less attracted to me and, and trust me i love training my clients and I was extremely passionate about it. There's not one part of me that was, you know, yep. thinking I need an exit here. But I'm going, well, what I need to do is reduce these hands on hours. So what I decided was to that I was going to double my rates. Because this this is the dilemma, isn't it? Because yeah. a lot of people, you feel bad, and I still do. Because I'm about to do another price increase, but yeah. you, you've, you have to do it. It's it's part of business, you know. So you, it, I think this shapes also your, your clientele. Yeah. I find the people who truly value, they don't bat an eyelid. They're like, yeah, and you get more of that, you know, yes. sort of avatar. And maybe we'll dive into that a little bit later. Yeah. But con continue. 100%. So I decided now the, the plan is to double the rates. So I go from 110 bucks a session up to 220. And, and sure enough, before I knew it, you know, I had my first $220 paying client. Now, for all the $110 people, I took them up to a midway point. They went up to a $150. Mm -hmm. And I had a strategy for that to say, well, because you've been such a valued client, I'm not going to ask you to pay the $220, but you are going to increase. So, yeah, how, did, could we, how did that conversation yeah, go? Because yeah. I know this is a question I've gotten to be like a lot of people now going, well, what do you say? How do you, how do you preface that? Maybe paint as a picture. Yeah. So I guess for, in the position I was in, and at that point in time, I'd built it to a team of around about five or six PTs. 
So the good news was that I did have a fallback plan for those people. And I had some of them who came on the journey with me. Yeah, options. And who were like, the the price is irrelevant. Um, I, you know, I see the value, I want to train with you. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I had others who were like, mate, I love training with you. It is awesome. But there is no way in fucking hell I'm paying 150 or 200 bucks to train with you. <laughs> so I love the honesty, man. Because, yeah, some people are going to turn around and say that. Correct, and and I got that. But the beauty was is that we had a really an amazing team where I could I could then offer them to train with somebody else, and they mm. could still get the results that they were after, and so forth. And so that's 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 a one part to it. Now, what I found on that journey was that I continued on, and things were going well. I've got two hundred dollar paying clients. You know, things were mm-hmm. moving along particularly well. I went to a fitness conference down in Melbourne, and this was in about two thousand and three. And I remember it's quite a you know, Firelex. It's a Firelex. Yep. That's right. Yeah, and. There was about oh hundred odd people in the room, and I took I took my team of trainers down there. We were up sort of the the back sort of three quarters of the room, and I remember the person had asked, you know, what does everyone charge anyway? It's you know fifty bucks, and a whole bunch of people put up their hands, and mm-hmm. sixty bucks, and you know hands kept going up and down. Then he got to about eighty, and it sort of pitted out. You know, it's one or two people. Oh, nice work, you know. And anyone over eighty, you know, anyone a hundred, and I think a hand, a hand might have gone up somewhere, and. All right, that's great. Anyone else um, over and above that? And I was like, yep. Yeah. And all right, what are we? One twenty, are we? One one forty, you know? <laughs> how, how much is it, mate? Two twenty, and it was like the whole room just. <gasps> <laughs> and um, you know, fascinatingly enough, for 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 the rest of that weekend, people were pulling me up. How the fuck? Because <laughs> people pay you for 220 bucks, you know. I think they're thinking something magic, you know what I mean? You yeah, know? yeah. Hang um, on, what's he doing after these sessions? He's <laughs> up for a bit more, this fella. Uh, hot towels, you know, <laughs> fireworks, <laughs> happy endings, you know. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Had to pay a lot more for the happy ending anyway. No, for yeah. sure. That was $500. <laughs> on, yeah. 20 bucks is 20 bucks. But um, <laughs> anyway, things were partic- moving along particularly well um, at that point in time. And, and we'd grown it. We've grown a good team of trainers. I'm charging 200 bucks a session. But then what I also found was that my goal was to do around about 10 sessions per week now. So reduce those 40-odd sessions right down to 10. Because yep. at 10 hands-on hours, I can still generate around about two grand into the business per week. Plus that affords me the time to, to work on all the other stuff, which was finding more clients, doing the marketing, the lead gen, hiring more trainers, training up the trainers, so that 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 was that's where I had to make the shift from just Brad the trainer to Brad the business owner, mm-hmm. and that's my that's my now responsibility. Anyway, when I, the turning point for me to move from two hundred and twenty to four hundred and forty dollars for a single session was, I, I looked around and for several weeks and I was tracking all the stats and figures and I'm up around eighteen or seventeen eighteen two hundred and twenty dollars sessions a week, you know. Yeah. And all that was, that was good for revenue. It wasn't good for time management and so forth. And I'm like, all right, the time has come and it's like time to go to 440. And I had So you, you didn't make small jumps. You, you weren't fucking around. That's right. You were going, yeah. I'm doubling this. Yeah, absolutely. I thought, well, that's the philosophy. And I realized that some will, some won't. And, you know, my response to that is it's, it's not up for me to decide what someone will or won't mm-hmm. pay for my service. I go, I know I'm great at what I do and I know I'll deliver a great service. And I also know that there will be someone out there who will mm-hmm. pay that mm-hmm. fee. I had a coach at the time, someone that I was working with, and I, I'd mentioned this to that person. I said, I'm too, I've made the decision I'm going to go to 440 And he laughed, right? He goes, <laughs> he goes who the hell's going to pay you 400 bucks for a PT session? 
<laughs> me and him joke about this because he's going, fuck, I wasn't a very good coach, was I? Um, <laughs> and I said, I'm not sure, but somebody will, you know, yeah. and there'll be someone out there. And within a, about a week, sure enough, I had my first $400 paying client. Is this in Sydney? No, this is in Brisbane. This is in Brisbane. I was in Brisbane, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that person, the the words that came out of that person's mouth was, you know, because when I presented it, even (coughs) though I'd had a lot of experience in building up my rates and charging Mm -hmm. 200 bucks and all the Mm -hmm. rest of it, I was still fucking nervous presenting $400 to somebody. And once again, the other part to it is that I realised that that's not for everybody, right? So I'm not walking in there going, hey, you're going to be my perfect $400 paying client, but I realised there'll be someone out there who would. Anyway, he said to me, mate, Words of verbatim, um, I believe in life, you get what you pay for. And I want I want to train with you, so let's yep. do it, you know. And uh, I remember at the time, and it, with all my training, with all, trying to separate myself from the emotional connection, I was acting all cool, you know. Oh, I think I can fit you in, you know. But <laughs> inside, I was going, fucking yes, you know. Yeah, you get back in the PT office, yes. What happened? Oh, PB, mate. Yeah, PB, personal best. <laughs> So yeah, and then the—I mean—that's the, the other part about yeah, the the two hundred, four hundred, all, all that part. Like I see it as, in some ways, kind of irrelevant. The actual figure—it was more important that I separated myself from the money and go. Well, I realise there are people out there that have a, a certain disposable income. So you know, one of the one of the four hundred dollar paying clients, and, and once again, because I get mm-hmm. to deal with lots of PTs mm-hmm. over the years, mm-hmm. one of the most common questions I got asked is, "Who the hell pays four hundred bucks for PT?" and, and what are these people? Who are they? You know, yep. and you know, I, I'd given up trying to think or decide for other people because of, of all the people that paid that over the years, there was there was not one common pattern. Obviously, one part is a disposable income, so yes. that that part was was yeah. was critical. But in terms of the personality type or whatever, so I remember this one particular client that uh, trained with me uh, at and signed up at that four hundred dollar rate. He'd been referred to me by my physiotherapist colleague. And uh, he'd been going to see Michael because he was he had chronic back pain. This guy was fifty three years old, and although he was fifty three, he was he was out of shape. He was overweight. I mean, he looked like he was seventy three. You know, he was not mm-hmm. not looking good. And he the referral came across. And he said, "Look, can you just get this guy moving? Because if you don't, he's going to be in a lot of discomfort, and he could die an early death. He's not looking well." So anyway, I met with this guy, fifty three years old. He had not exercised as an adult, so. That all stopped up once he had left school. So what, thirty odd years? Yep. He was overweight, chronic back pain. That's why he was going to the physio. Anyway, I just got, had to get this guy moving. Now I'm picturing this guy just probably needs to start, you know, walking around the block with plastic coated dumbbells. You know, that, that would be a good start, right? So I'm not sitting sure. there thinking this is going to be my perfect four hundred dollar paying client. Anyways, we go through the process, and at that point in time, we had a, a structure on how I presented fees mm-hmm. that went. Um, 440, uh, my next trainer down was 175, mm-hmm. and then it went 135, 110, 99, 88, and 77. So there was a big range of, of uh, rates depending yeah. upon which trainer you were with and so forth. So once I'd been through the whole process and I, you know, I saw that this guy really wanted help, once we flip over and he saw the rates, he goes, I'm going to train with you. And he goes, because you're obviously the best. And he goes, at the next person down, uh, mate, there's a chance I'll, I'm not going to turn up. And he goes, at 400 bucks, buddy, I'm definitely coming. Well, uh, this is, <laughs> you, 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 like you said, you, you're going to turn up, aren't you? are going to apply yourself. That's right. Well, he booked in, then he booked in three times per week. Fuck so, <laughs> Jesus 400, Christ. 400 bucks a session, three sessions a week, do the math, 1200 bucks a week. Now, for him, that three was, hours of work. It was, That's you know, f- yeah, for him it was a, a, you know, he had a very high disposable income 
And, you know, that was a small portion of it. But the, the, probably the thing I took away was, number one, he was in enough pain, discomfort, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. where he needed to act. Uh, number two, is he was someone who wanted the best when he did stuff. And the next one down is that, a, you know, a couple of hundred bucks a week, there's a chance I might turn up, 165, 175, mm-hmm. thereabouts. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, mate, at 400 bucks, I'm definitely coming. And he traded with me under that arrangement for about 12 months. Yep. until after 12 months he saw me once a week and I was able to move him to one of my other team members for several times a week. So for, sure. for, for 12 months he was, he was like, you know, I'm, I'm investing in this and this yeah. is me to yep. get in shape, you know. So, 100%. But, yeah, I mean, geez, I could tell you many stories. But probably the big thing for me was turning up and, and not and, – and I didn't set out to be – you know, the highest paid PT. You know, if you sure. asked me when I kicked off, mate, one day you'll charge 400 bucks a session, I would have said, you, you're crazy, you know. Yeah. Would, would not have believed it, had not seen any evidence of it, all the rest of it. But once I started to get in and, and see that there are people out there that, that value it highly, then it just gave me the evidence to say, well, hey, you make the decision, you know. And mm-hmm. it's it's it can't be at the mercy of, of the success of my business. I'm not there. Fingers crossed, geez, I hope I can sign up a $400 person. They'll never come. But <laughs> So yeah. I was like, build a business. And what I found was that gave me the security to be able to open myself up to the right people. Yeah, I think that's a key a key thing there. And, and as you said, it's not necessarily – I'm resonating with – there isn't a particular pattern apart from the disposable income. Mm. I remember when I put my prices up to 110 which was – big for me and yeah. I thought oh fuck you know and I had a couple of people drop off and I offer you know an online option and, and a couple of other ongoing options where they just get programming etc yes. you know yours refining and then straight away I had three new clients three times a week at 110 yes. so I was like you I was beside I was like yeah well I'll see if I've got, <laughs> the, I've got the room um but that that again that keeps happening it keeps happening yeah and a pattern I've noticed is and this can be you know, the mindset of, of a trainer who earns X amount of dollars an hour and not having the limiting beliefs where, you know, you you get to a point where, and I can understand a lot of trainers are out there, you run yourself ragged and you go, right, time, money, you know, what are you going to do? You need mm-hmm. to do something. So, yes. you know, it people, some clients will go, oh, you're trying to get rid of me with the price. Like, no, no, I'm not. I've got to keep to the session time yeah. because I want to keep providing these high quality sessions. Yeah. I've also got to respect and value my time and my clients because, Aside from this, there's all of this other stuff that goes into whether it's programming, whether it's marketing, podcasting, whatever you're doing. Correct. Um, and you will find that, you know, one or two or three, whatever it is, drop off. And sure enough, you get one that's better. Yep. And it's it's more idealized. And I have found to second what you're saying, the more I charge, the better caliber quality client i get yes because you yep. bet your ass they're turning up that's right but um <laughs> for the most part but now i'm getting to that point where i'm like well yeah no th- there's more here you know and i think maybe to touch base and this might be an apprehended question goes without saying you're obviously de- de- um, delivering a lot of value here yes you know yeah, what yeah. i mean yeah. so in terms of you are getting testimonials and this might sort of diverge into the next as- um, aspect we want to talk about in marketing yeah you know what i mean yep. like were you were you doing um with your clients, we obviously you got your progress pictures, etc. Were you upskilling in any other ways aside from the business element, or was this purely with a cert three and four, or were there any other educational add-ons to this? Um, yeah, because yeah. again, ultimately, it's not. It's like I always use the term. I guess the caveat Branson. He's not. He's not a PhD, right? Yeah. 
which he doesn't need to be because he goes, well, fucking look at the results. Yeah. And I always sort of find that balance between I'm a bit of a closet nerd. I love all that. I love nutrition. I'm, you know, we talked about that. I'm doing that at the minute. But there is a point where you can have too much academia. Yeah. Like you get these people who are just like keyboard warriors and you're like, yeah, but mate, you've never applied it. Mm. And then you've got our, you know, lovely girl who's bouncing around like a butterfly all the mm. time. She's got the best intention, but she fucking can't get a result to save a life. Yeah. And we all know these archetypes of people. And I think it's striking this balance between you know, obviously you need the business, but you need to be a great communicator. Yeah. You need to be confident, but you do need to understand a certain level of, you know, the thermodynamics, the science behind physiology uh, 100%, to yeah. actually get people stronger, leaner, you know, losing weight, bigger, whatever it is they want to achieve. Yeah. Perhaps you can touch base on, on some of that, that went into, you know, the package of, Hey, well, I'm a $400 trainer or this is my price. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that once again, I'll look at that um, whole, uh, let's call it a, a triangle of success in many ways. It's like there's the technical side of training, mm. there's the business side of running a, a fitness business, and then there's the, uh, let's call it the personal development or the emotional intelligence mm. component. And what I've seen is in the industry, the best performers have that beautiful blend of that. I understand that I've got to be a great technician. I understand that I've got to understand business and the different components, and I understand that I have to be a great, a great at understanding people and mm -hmm. assisting them to overcome, deal with my own stuff first, So, which would set me up for success with other people. So, yeah, for me, I mean, the turning point was like in the late 90s, you know, I got in, started studying Paul Check, and he was the guy famous for putting Swiss balls on the, the gym floor. And sure. Um, so I remember, you know, transitioning off bench presses, and, you know, it was just all dumbbell presses off Swiss balls and <laughs> started the Poliquin stuff. And, you know, I remember so, that era in my gym in New Zealand. I yeah. said, what, what, why, why have you got him on a Swiss ball, mate? <laughs> Poliquin. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, so uh, for, for me, like, I just became a sponge for all of it. And, you know, it was always, you know, how can I find these little one percenters which can make a difference? Yeah, absolutely. But then on the business side of it, it you're 100% correct. It was like, how do we now showcase our best stuff? And what I found was your, your best clients become your walking, talking evangelists. Yes. So we, we, were, we were mostly we were mostly attracting people who are on a body transformation progression. So mm -hmm. that's what, what our, our main type of clientele was after. And what we found was that, you know, just by being able to attract the right people, get them the results, then it started to grow that way. Um, but yeah, I, I would say 100%. And back to charge rates, you know, from my perspective, I don't care what someone charges. That's completely their decision. Mm -hmm. uh, but the thing I would say to people coming in the industry is obviously – you don't just jump in and go, okay, beauty, I'm going to start charging 100, 150 a session, right? It's like, well, you've got to earn your stripes, get some experience yeah, yeah. and get somewhere. So I have absolutely no dramas with someone charging a lower fee when For they sure. kick themselves off to get themselves some clients and get their results and all the rest of it. Yeah. But once again, what I see way too often is someone who started charging 50 bucks in the industry and three or four years later, they're still charging 50 bucks because they haven't learnt some of these processes, haven't mm. got themselves more technically skilled and all the rest of it, you know. So that I guess in some way you could you potentially argue someone ha hasn't invested in themselves, maybe you're not justified to charge more. And, and so, but once again, I, I, I've also seen many people who are, are well technically skilled and just not not attracting the type of clientele and not attracting the type of fee that they're probably worth and doesn't stack up to that. And in many ways, they become the best kept secret. Yeah, it is. It's multifaceted. Mm. And I think um, when we talk about value, I used to talk a lot about this with one of my good friends and, and business partners in, in another venture. And we, we talked about, you know, imagine earning $1,000 an hour 
And back then, you know, it can seem very inconceivable. And this comes back down to the, you know, the mental model and mindset. Yep. But ultimately, it's perceived value. You know, it's, uh, we will use examples that are relatable. People will spend $10,000 on a watch, $100,000 on a watch. People will spend a million dollars on a car. Now, it goes without saying you need the cash or you should have the cash for that. But, yes. you know, you've got people who go, I would, even if I had that money, I would never spend that. And it's like, well, yeah, but you would spend it on something. Yes. It would be something. And again, why? It's you perceive that value. Yep. I heard the maddest fact the other day. Now, I don't know whether this is 100% true. So I'm just going to put that out there. But uh, it was Louis Vuitton or Chanel, when they have extras, they, they burn it. They don't ever put it on sale or give it away. Like they, they literally burn. So say they're, they're doing like a, they've got a limited edition of something. Yeah. Because if, if it's not paid for, it's, they don't want it on people. Wow. Now that's extreme, <laughs> but it kind of illustrates that there are markets out yeah. there. And I think sometimes we can be quite sheltered. I mean, you know, we're here talking in Brisbane, Australia. It's probably a place where health and fitness is prevalent. Yeah. You know, we've got some of the best coaches in the world. We've got a lot of the, the worst. It, there's a weird trans, transition here because we've the, the barrier to entry is low. Yeah. But we forget there's there's... You know, I, I'm a passion for motor racing. Mm. Uh, I grew up in that realm. You know, you look at what these Formula One drivers, their coaches are, are charging. You know, maybe you look at LA, you look at London, it's all part of an ecosystem. And sometimes we forget that, you know, it is possible. Yeah. And sometimes we can take some of those lessons and bring them, you know, into our own backyard. And if you can create that value, you can generate this income. I want to talk more about marketing. Now, it's obviously evolved from when you started. Now we're, we're very much online. You know, there's a lot yes. going on there. Yep. What are the biggest mistakes you see trainers make in this day and age in marketing? Yep. And some of the, I guess, the most simplest key takeaways to market yourself, aside from what we've already talked about, which I'd argue is still the best, which is, you know, word of mouth. You know, mm. hey, this is John. This yep. is where he started. Yep. This is where he is. He's telling people, like you said, you're evangelist, you know, go and train with Alex, go train with Brad. Yeah. Um, we've got Facebook, we've got Instagram. It can seem overwhelming. Mm. There's so much out there. So, yep. you know, what... How would you simplify that for the listeners to give yeah. them some jumping off points? Absolutely. A couple of parts to it. And I guess I, once again, if I reflect back to my own personal story, when I first kicked off, you know, I, I at the time saved up all this money that I didn't have and uh, they had the local newspaper, probably still gets distributed in, in wherever you live. And in the local newspaper, I, I prepaid for like eight weeks of, of advertising, a quarter of a page ad. Keep in mind, 1995, we're, we're pre you know, internet, all that sort of stuff. So anyway, I designed the ad, right? And as the newly crowned, you know, bodybuilding champion, of course, because I designed the ad, 80% of the ad was occupied by a photo of myself. And the headline said words to the effect of, you know, come train with the champ, you know, with a, a phone number there. Now, sat around waiting for the phone to ring after eight weeks and, of course, nobody called. And <laughs> what do you think I, con I concluded about advertising on that day? <laughs> doesn't work. doesn't work. It's a waste of money, waste of time, all the rest of it, when really I didn't understand that there was a strategy and a process behind marketing and, and generating leads. What I see in this day and age still in 2021 it, are, are people who are heavily features-based. So it's, it's about, I'm Brad's PT, I deliver, you know, body conditioning, weight loss, um, you know, kickboxing, whatever it might be. These become features of a program. And, you know, the stats tell us that it's around about, you know, maybe three to five maximum percent of people are ready to purchase today. So if I'm on Facebook and I'm scrolling, you know, there's a very small percentage of people that are just going to go, oh, Brad's PT, beauty. I'm, it's exactly what I was looking for, you know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for most people 
they're not ready to purchase today. So we have to keep that part in mind. So if we want to speak to the other 97% of people, it's all about how do we start to commence some type of relationship with that person. And so, you know, from our perspective, we're very big on building databases, being able to build a community so that you can find a way to be able to introduce yourself to somebody to, to take that so they can take that first step with you. So if you are in any type of business, it doesn't even have to be in the in the fitness industry, it's all about going, how do I piece together some sort of content? And we refer to it as content-based marketing. How do I find a way where I can deliver some information to somebody that may be interested, okay? And if I see something about uh, fat loss because that's something that I'm, I'm potentially interested in, well, now you've got my interest and I've potentially clicked on that. Now, right now, you're not asking me to purchase anything. My, our recommendation is to go, we want to give something away, something you would see of, of high value. So the end user, the person who's going to digest your stuff, can actually commence a relationship with it you know so they have a read of it okay this stuff makes sense i'm liking what alex is talking about i'm liking what somebody else is talking about like an ebook or something or a video an ebook yeah and 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 from there there's typically some sort of exchange of of you know name potentially email potentially Mm -hmm. phone number Mm -hmm. depending upon the the intricacy of of this strategy but the idea there is to go allow us to now start to commence and nurture this relationship so from from that perspective you know anyone in any industry you've got skills you've got secrets you've got things that could benefit somebody who mm. is if it is of interest to that so yeah. if i step outside the fitness industry for a moment you know one of my very good friends is, is piecing together a new business and his his strategy is about attracting car enthusiasts people who love uh taking old cars rebuilding them restoring them and so forth and so he's got a business model on the back end of it but what we brainstormed was him putting together the strategy and to go here's the top things you need to look for before you go and purchase your 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 secondhand car you know so mm-hmm. if i'm in the market and i think yeah i might get into this thing well now i've got the the bible i've got the report which tells me exactly the questions i need to ask and the things i need to look for and so that's a great example of it. So from, from that perspective, what it enables you to do is start to build a database, knowing that 3% of people are ready to purchase today. And hey, someone might see you and just go, hey, that stuff I read was awesome. You know, what's the next step? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for others, they might be consuming. They might be listening, watching your video. They might be reading your report. They're on your email list and they start digesting your stuff. And now what happens is you start to get seen as, in their mind, the expert, mm-hmm. uh, someone who could potentially be the obvious best choice if and when they need help and assistance. And so really effectively, that's what we, we break it down to and to go, how, do you, how can you start to think about securing tomorrow's business today by having an effective lead gen strategy? And so the, probably the biggest trap people fall into is trying to sign somebody up today. Yeah. Meet you. Hey, Alex, yeah. mate, um, you know. Would you like to get started? You're, yeah, you're like, well, it's no. It's not foreplay, man. It's not foreplay. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, and really that's in a nutshell. We can go into huge amounts of depths on the strategy behind that, but ultimately we just see too, too many people jumping steps way too quickly, and that can come from desperation. You know, if, if you're in a position where you go, today I need cash flow, well, it may impact your decision, you know. so This is true. It's, it's a salient point. This is obviously something you do very well at trainer hq i've noticed you know with you with your courses with your content you know there's videos coming through like there's the the ebooks coming through you know there's podcasts etc there's again you're you're giving value and i don't know whether this rings true to your knowledge but there is a 
a rule of, they say, you know, seven times before someone buys out, whether that is or not. I think, you know, there's obviously a rule against the law, but yeah, yeah generally, depending on the product, you know, you're going to be, and I think possibly the higher the value, the more you need value, you need to sort of deliver, if you will, uh, where you become the authority, you build trust, you build rapport, and then people start to listen, believe, and then obviously buy for you or whatever that process is. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you want to speak to that a little bit, whether that has been... I guess, accurate with your experience uh, yes. here at Trainer HQ before people actually, you know, if you look at the trends and anal- analytics, is it, oh, okay, that's actually, yeah, or it, no, it's it's three or it's four or whatever it might be? Yeah, well, uh, two parts to it. First things first, after 14 years of running this uh, business coaching company and up to 200 clients every year joining our higher level business mm-hmm. coaching programs, one thing that we've said right from day one is to say, look, we, no matter what's where someone sits on the timeline of, you know, prospective client or ultimately you know one of our walking talking evangelists who's been on the program for six or seven years Mm -hmm. which we've got people in that position we want to produce content in such a way that if someone just consumes it something for free walks away reads the book or whatever and goes that made a difference then we've ticked the box on that we're like yep mission accomplished because you know ultimately no matter whether they become a client or not we want them to be able to get their hands on the what we would consider best practice strategy on how to build a successful fitness business so if that's all someone did then that's absolutely fantastic but we also know that from there people go i've read the book all right cool what else is out there what else have these guys got so they tune into our podcast and they subscribe to our email list and all the rest of it so and you're exactly right when we have new clients coming through into our business coaching program what we often hear is, "Hey, um, I've been I've been listening to your podcast. I've been watching your guys' videos. I've read the book. I've tick tick the box, tick 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 tick." And so, from our perspective, we haven't got to sit there and try to explain what we do. They've already been listened. They're they're well in tune with it, you know. So, so the the more of that from our perspective, the better. And and when we're coaching other businesses, we say that's the strategy, you know. So you want to mm-hmm. make sure that you get your content out there in such a way that people can digest it. You did discuss different platforms, but and that's yes. the other part because that yes. part can be, you know, for any small business owner, incredibly confusing. The the trap, in my opinion and I can only speak of, of, of where we try and educate our clients, is that the trap to fall into is feeling like you've got to be everything to everyone on every single platform. This is, I'm glad you've addressed <laughs> this. We're going to go down this avenue. Because yeah. the way I view it for many business owners is that could be um, exhausting, it could be time-consuming, and unless it ultimately you can do it for a period of time and you can see a definite result, then I'd go, well, hold on. What we need to do is maybe start with the one, you know, potentially two platforms and go, we go back to, first of all, target clients. Where are my my target clients hanging out, Um, i.e. where is the space where I'm going to best connect with them Mm. based on their demographic, based on who they are, and then I'm going to sink some serious energy into that platform. What it means for me is that I can typically be able to repurpose that content without too much effort. But the, the thing I'd say to many is to go, don't fall into the trap of trying to be the expert on YouTube whilst being the expert on Insta, whilst being the dominating LinkedIn and all the rest of it at the same time. Because once again, you can just start to spread yourself too thin, unless there's a very easy strategy on, on being able to move that stuff around without too much effort. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of great things you said there. And I, I think to un- unpack a few of them... Uh, which aligns with some of the best advice I got is that, you know, you shouldn't feel that you have to do everything because it is overwhelming, but also certain mediums are just not going to be bespoke to your personality or your skill sets. Mm. 
when I did a podcast in the early days with a gentleman called Danny Lennon, you know, I asked him, what advice would you give to people wanting to start a podcast? And he said, I wouldn't because it's not for everyone. Mm. And he goes, an advice against something that you're forcing yourself into. Obviously, it's always going to be a challenge. You've got to hone skills. But yep. like you said, it's better to go right. Pick one or two things mm. that are perhaps more aligned. If you, you know, if you're good in front of the camera, maybe it's YouTube. If you're good on the mic, it's mm. podcasting. Yep. But then I think the second part to that is like you said, you can rehash it. Like with this now, we can do uh, we can do Instagram with yep. this. Uh, we've got podcasts, we've got YouTube. We can do an actual physical post about it. We can yep. share it. There's just so many ways, and there's probably more just on the top of my head that you could hash this up into. So yes. I think that is a key thing in terms of being clever with your time and then being able to, as you said, repurpose it, get it into different platforms, and therefore you've saved yourself time yep. rather than... You know, just, uh, I guess, going, oh, I've got to post on this and then I've got to do that because I'll tell you what, I mean, there was a time where I tried to do everything and I, wow. Yes. <laughs> you get nothing done and your screen's yeah. time up and it's depressing yeah. and then you, you're losing sight of the basics. Like, you know, you're not present with your clients and it's like never neglect those basics. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's right. Going forward, which is big. And yeah. And from there, it's, it's really you ultimately, if you're doing it for the purpose of business, you need to track and measure it, you know. So that's the other part to it. It's to go, well, I need to assess exactly how much time, effort and energy I'm putting into this stuff and ultimately are there any type of, uh, am I trying to build a, what am I, what's my end goal in here? Am I just trying to build another follower so I could potentially then have that person sign into something or where does this thing look? And over the course of three months, you can look back on it and go, I put X, Y, or Z time in and what did it produce for me in terms of, say, new business? And you might find that, hey, yeah, that was a really good use of time, effort and energy. But on the flip side, you might have said, well, I spent a whole lot of time but didn't get any result of it. And so then we'd start to question, well, what's the process? Is the messaging matching up and all the rest of it? Mm. And I guess that's where it just gets more and more intricate and like how a lot of those little key you know, nuances, if you will, can yep. really change the trajectory uh, yep. and even the effort versus the reward. Yeah, yeah. Um, trust me, over you know, 25 years in business, 14 years of running this business coaching company, trust me, we're very quick to sack stuff, pause it, you know, we're going, we've, we've, we've spent, We've spent lots of money in different platforms and we'll, we'll run a campaign and it'll be going fantastic and then the next campaign we run will go terrible, uh, you know, and we've we've done everything from securing, you know, $3 leads through to securing $150 leads, you know, and, we, we you know, we can laugh at it, but at the time you're going, this campaign, the 150 bucks a lead, you know, to secure a name, an email and a phone number, and then to find out that that person is not even the right person anyway. <laughs> and, um, but ultimately it's like this is part of being in business to really understand how do i how do i put together a strategy that's going to serve me long term mm -hmm. but also set it up in such a way so it's agile enough to move with the times and be able to flow with the right type of clientele that are searching for it yeah and, and you can't buy that experience which mm -hmm. is probably why you know having this business set and having people be able to come in and learn from you guys they don't often see on the surface what they're getting you know yes. what I mean? I think this is the value of investing in mentors, reading books, courses that are legitimate because you don't realize those people, those services, those products yep. can save you. It might be an initial investment. People yep. see it as an expense. You got the wrong mindset. It's an investment on what you can do with it. That can fast forward you. I, I always say to my clients, look, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to teach you the things I wish I would have knew. Yes. The, the things I wish someone would have sat down and talked to me to the best of my ability. And all transparency in five and ten years' time, I want to be able to look back and go, 
And now there's a whole lot more. And I've changed my mind on a few things and I'm okay about that, but I'm moving forward, yes. you know, uh, and, and ultimately I think if you're up front with people, as you said, with your clients before, they're along for the journey, they're committed, they are accepting you for the, for the total package, not just, you know, oh, it's this or this, it's the, the entire experience. Yeah, well. that's right. You, you're purchasing into the 25 years plus of experience plus all the, the times, the trials, you know, the, the tribulations, you know, the successes plus all the challenges and struggles along the way, you know. So um, it's, a, it's a key part of it. And, you know, once again, I, I personally still love being in business after 25 years because mm-hmm. I'm constantly learning and, and finding new processes and strategies as well, you know. so For sure. And, and as we get into the tail end of the podcast, and I appreciate you being so generous with your time, Brad, I'd love to, um, before I get into the rapid fire, what I call the rapid fire questions, a bit more fun in nature, I'd love for you to give us a bit of a day in the life now, yep. just to kind of contrast, you know, where you started and, and what it's like in the day-to-day runnings of HQ. I find people love that question and it's a great way to really connect with with yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So so my perfect day starts at 3.40 a.m., so that's my, my alarm, um, bounce out of bed, straight through, uh, butter coffee is how I kick off the morning. And for most mornings, I'm exercising early. So I, you know, th- three or four days a week, I go to a CrossFit gym. A couple of days a week, I go mountain biking. Uh, other day, I might go for a run, you know. So I sort of tried to have quite a nice sort of overall blended sort of exercise regime. Diversity. But usually, it's sort of a rock by about 5 a.m. I've kicked off. So at my first part of the day, while well, I'm, I'm drinking my coffee, I'm, I'll do, be doing my journaling and so forth. And and at that point in time for me, it's just my, you know, 15, 20 minutes to just be able to sort of, you know, let the, the mind and, and the creativity go. Uh, done the exercise component and then either option A is I'm back home. There's myself and my wife, plus we've got two kids, uh, daughter's 12, son's 11, and so be back home, family time, hanging out with them. They're getting ready for school. There's all that kind of home banter, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then from there, generally getting into the office, which is three kilometres from home, so I live very close to the office. And my whole, I often joke about my whole life's in this sort of like three-kilometre bubble where, you know, gym, home, office, work, you know, everything I do is, you know, I say I get nosebleeds if I've got to go 10K away, you know. so Efficient, mate. <laughs> um, you know, and so that that for me, you know, so you know, by about 19 will be a normal clock-on time. Um, and then inside the office, depending upon what we've got in, inside our headquarters now, out of a team of you know, 12 or 13 of us, we've literally got two or three of us in the head office. So you're in the head office up in Brisbane now. But the way the modern business and the way the modern world is our, our whole team is spread all around the country. You know, yeah, So yeah. Uh, there's myself and Jace typically in here uh, four days a week. And then knock-off time could be sort of anywhere around about sort of you know from 3 p.m. onwards and depending upon what commitments and so forth that we got. So, you know, the way I view it is that, you know, do we work uh, hard? Yeah, the answer is absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, but we also work smart. So from my perspective, it's all about going, how do you, you know, achieve uh, the maximum amount you can in the sort of in the, the in the minimum amount of time might be one word for it but then i have other times when it requires me to do more you know and i'm in a position where i can and rip in and do that so uh back in the afternoon is, is is more family time kids are right into sports gymnastics you know we've got a french bulldog that we walk and you know so we do all that sort of stuff dinner and but for me you know the, the perfect bedtime is sort of around about 9 p.m because i love that 3 40 get up and so I can have good quality rest and 
you know, a good sleep for Australia. So if we did have a national sleeping team, I'd, I'd definitely qualify for that. So I have no dramas doing that. So when I'm when it's time to sleep, boom, I'm gone. Time to get up, rip straight into it. So nice. Yeah. It's very. Uh, it's a. It's an action-packed day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, get up with motivation. Go to bed with uh, satisfaction. And yeah. All that. It's yeah. Good. And once again, like I turned forty-seven this year. Just you know, I've, I've engineered that. You know, it's 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 like a, how do I sort of construct the perfect yeah. life? In my opinion, well, it's just you you f- you find ways to be able to build that and and, and mm. live it the way you want it to be. For sure. And I think you fine tune over time. You find what works. You know, you you play around with you know wake times and obviously you know you. you have a partner, you have a family, that changes the dynamics again. Now you got to write now, how could I rearrange that? And I always find you get these, what I like to call like light bulb moments where you have these almost limiting beliefs and you're like, no, I can actually change that to that. And then you do and you're like, oh, why didn't I do that sooner? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got this whole, you know, you, you've freed up something or you've rearranged your training time or you've changed your clients to AMPM or whatever it is. Yeah. And it just frees up a bit of mental space. And I think, you know, there is that individuality element to it where people have got to play around yep. like sometimes with, you know, habits and routines are massive, you know, really big on the, you know, in the morning and the evening rituals. Um, you know, you mentioned journaling, a lot of other bits and pieces, getting up, exercising, having that time serving yourself before you serve others. I think that's critical. Yes. Um, but I think sometimes people are so indebted, I've got to do it that way. It's like, well, no, no, no. As long as you're doing it yeah. and it works for you, that's fine. You Absolutely. Meditation's yeah. different to, for different people. Yeah, yeah. And no matter what time of the day you do it or where that sits in, and if, if that's a thing for you, then, you know, find the strategy to do it. You know, there's there's another day if I'm, if I'm not exercising and what I also do enjoy is, is if I clock on, I've got a home office and I can generally be clocked on by 4 a.m. and mm-hmm. I can get through and do four hours of pretty much uninterrupted work, business work and up until about 8 a.m., and it's like, you know, while most people are sleeping, I've been able to rip in and just get a whole lot of bunch of quality stuff done when my brain's nice and fresh. And so there, there's another part. And I, you know, I look back at on when I do those days and I go, geez, I really value those as well because you can just get so much done, you know? Yeah, I do. I, I, I resonate massively because I was never a um, quote unquote morning person. I, yeah. I started learning more about sleep and the different archetypes, you know, of it. But nowadays, I, I'm the sharpest in the morning. You know yep. what I mean? I sort of, I, I, I'm very selfish with that time. Yeah. And almost, I'm very hesitant to give it away to other things because I know if there's anything that's very mentally heavy to do, mm. that's my time. Yeah. And there is something quite peaceful about getting up before the world is sort of cranked into gear, you know, wherever you are, you know, AM, PM, but yeah. it's just something. And it's just this serenity, you know, and obviously for you, you know, the kids aren't up, you know, it's just you time. Yes. You know, even yeah. the sun often the time. So you can just, bang crack in yeah and you've just got this brilliant trajectory and then obviously things start to get a little bit sticky and grindy after that and you just don't get that clear run yeah. i have found so yeah yeah definitely I, I, I definitely <laughs> resonate with that statement that's for sure but try and get me on some some serious brain stuff at you know 7 p.m at night and, and pro- maybe not as sharp you know but <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm useless after 12 no <laughs> i always say I'm, I'm better with the more creative um and you know the sort of social aspect yeah. after midday but yeah. before midday that's where i do my heavy mental lifting I'm, you know when it's formulas or it's study or it's reading or it's something that's very critically important yeah um i need i need an am for me but everyone yep. is different so i encourage the listeners to try it out rapid fire questions they're a bit more fun in nature yep um before we get on to the final question i ask all my guests and the yep. first one is um in your current day-to-day or you know with, with your role here at hq what's yep. the most rewarding part of what you do and what's yep. the most challenging at this point in time uh 
Good questions. Um, I guess most rewarding for us is just seeing the, the change in people. So we, we've, you know, when I look at all the people that we've had through the program and I look at the uh, lives that have been impacted as a result of that. So, you know, like I, I could rattle off many, many different success stories and clients, but people that are started in the industry earning three or 400 bucks a week and have now got a, a, a business that has a facility that's turning over $6,000 a week with a team of people and so forth. And you go, this person really uh, ha- had no idea that that was going to happen, uh, but just trusted in us and trusted in the process and go, if I just get around this and I'll learn the strategies, then I can, you know, there's potentially there. So I'll, I'll look at that sort of stuff and we just constantly get blown away by it. Yep. Um, in terms of the challenge, I guess, for us as a business, you know, at a team of 12 or 13, our, our current um, strategy is all about going, how do we ultimately uh, expand this even further? So our mm-hmm. goal is to take Trader HQ uh, outside of Australia. So we're, we're 90% dominant in Australia. Um, and what I mean by dominant, that's where 90% of our business comes from. And we have a small percentage of 10% of our, our business comes from overseas. We go, well, we really feel like we've got a lot to offer. And so from our perspective, the challenge lies in going, exactly what does that look like? And how we originally built this business was on uh, running seminars and workshops and so forth. And uh, over the years, we've been able to change the model so we weren't reliant upon running a workshop. Part of our strategy was thinking, okay, maybe we need to take ourselves to the States, maybe we need to do something to get ourselves there, but we've also realised that that's not necessary. And so I guess from our our perspective right now, it's engineering the right pathway to be able to open ourselves up to that. Yeah, no, that makes sense for sure. Top three book recommendations that you would gift or highly reference to a lot of your, I guess, clients or even for the listeners right now? Like, yes. And maybe it's the one that you mentioned earlier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> and I, actually read it. <laughs> yeah, definitely that one. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Covey, um, you know, just in my opinion, a genius and, and, and many sort of, you know, um, other resources that he's produced. So that's definitely one of them. Um, the other one that really influenced me heavily uh, back in the day was Rich Dad Poor Dad um, and everything that the Rich Dad Poor Dad strategy talks about. So, uh, you know, that really impacted my understanding of going, okay, move from not only business owner but to then be able to go move into the area of investor and to understand that hey uh, business can be able to generate income but from there it goes what other assets can I uh, invest in to be able to secure my long-term wealth so that one definitely Um, and then the other one you mentioned about gifting for many uh, you know friends and and close people of gifted um, you know his needs her needs uh, relationship people that are getting engaged and so forth so uh, from that perspective you know like I just see so much value in being able to invest in your uh, your own emotional growth, your own emotional intelligence, which will assist any relationship, person to person, and so that for me they're definitely the ones. Yeah, no, I love that. I think uh, as we were we we're talking about when we arrived, that 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 is a an area which is well neglected. You yes. know what I mean? Like health and relationships. If you've not got that, you've not got anything. So why wouldn't you want to invest? Yes. I, I was having a discussion, just to digress slightly, with a lady this morning. And she was telling me about, uh, you know, some friends and they've unfortunately broken up and this, that and the other. And I said, so have you, have you heard about the, the five love languages? Because mm-hmm. she was on about, you know, how this uh, dynamic of generation has changed. And I said, you know, ultimately people, they work on a business, you know, they grind, they might make a success of it or not. It's what you put in is what you get out. It's the same with the physique, right? Yep. It's a lot of things in life. Anything can apply to this, but for some reason, it would appear mm. that people think they're entitled to 
a flawless relationship. Yes. And I don't know what is going on with this generation, whether it's mine, whether it's sort of the next one where they just feel that they just, that's, that's a God given. Yes. And that the honeymoon period isn't going to end. And, you know, I'm not massively experienced in this, but I've had some great conversations with minds much brilliant than my own. And the takeaway is, you know what, you're going to need to work as hard as that, as anything in your life. And I just think we're applying the same principles to business and the physique to the relationship and going, well, I should seek out understanding. I should seek out knowledge in that. And when the time comes, there's going to be some serious effort that's going to need to go into it. If you want something like anything extraordinary, it's going to require extraordinary. Absolutely. And then uh, especially those people that are in long-term relationships that go, well, this continually needs to be worked on and improved upon, you know? So yeah, no, yeah. no, great takeaway, I think, there, Brad. Yeah. And my last one, a bit more lighthearted, I ask all my guests, if you could choose a superpower, yeah. you can make one up if you want, Yeah, it, what, what would it be <laughs> and why? Fascinating. Um, I think the ability to, you know, be able to just, you know, understand and read where someone's at. Now, mm. um, I feel like through doing a lot of work and understanding emotional intelligence when you start speaking to somebody you can start to get some clarity around what's going on but um the ability to just be able to read a thought process and just go yep cool now could also be potentially dangerous but um (laughs) but nonetheless that would be great because then we could just you know i guess in all sort of human endeavors and relationships cut through a lot of clutter very quickly Mm -hmm. you know just go aha that's exactly what you're thinking so i don't have to worry about x y or z so you could just sort of sync right up and you go i I can put myself in your shoes empathy bang is this what you mean (laughs) Yeah, 100%. I think that's a a good one. And uh, my last question that I ask all my guests is, could you identify a fear that you've had in your life? Could be current, could be in the past, what it was, um, how you overcame it, or if you're still trying to overcome it and what you've learned from that fear. Wow, okay. Um, Good one. Come back in with the right hook at the end. (laughs) We we had one actually that myself, uh, Jason, my business partner, and Brad Davis, our uh, one of our coaches here at Trade HQ, were talking about at breakfast just on Friday. Mm. And um, when I um, I've been training CrossFit now for eight or so years, and and my introduction to CrossFit was like I'm just going to go and do for a month sign up and do something different i've always been interested in just trying other other skill sets and all anyway after a month i was hooked and i was like loving it this is me and so i've been you know been a you know, avid crossfitter for many years now part of doing crossfit involves a lot of sort of gymnasticy stuff mm. and me as a as a young kid at school all the rest of it i um completely avoided uh, any type of gymnastics i remember having you know like a uh, vault and all that sort of stuff at school and i would miraculously find ways to avoid it now at that point in time at school i was going to the gym and doing yeah. bodybuilding training so for me it was also a bit like well you know i'm, I'm trying to build muscle and, and this is not cool and you know all that sort of stuff yeah. strength well, training for the win yeah that's right and a 15 year old brain starts to decide that hey i'm not going to have a go at this vault number one because i was absolutely petrified of it mm. absolutely scared had no skill set no talent all the rest of them. i'm going to look like an idiot you know so miraculously found ways to engineer myself out of it so anyway some you know, 20, 30 years later, I find myself at CrossFit and, hello, what do you need to do at CrossFit? We need to do this gymnastic stuff. And I'm like, the 15-year-old Brad comes back and <laughs> going, how do I magically find my way out of this, you know? But anyway, it was like, all right, tackle it head on. So one of the things was handstand push-ups, right? Yeah, yeah. I'd never done a handstand, never done a handstand push-up, right? So anyways, I'm, I thought I'm going to give this thing a crack, you know? So I'm doing kick-ups to the wall, all the rest of it, progressions and my biggest fear, um, back to the question, was up in the, you know, 
upside down was that I was going to career uh, to the ground. My head was going to hit the ground and, you know, it was like do your first one and you're just going to lose control. Um, and, and that was a fear. Anyway, I'm down with Jason, my business partner, and we're running a workshop. This is five or so years ago down in Melbourne and he's watching me, right? We're in this uh, hotel gym and I'm kicking up to the wall. I'm doing this practice and I'm sort of like – I'm really struggling and he's looking at me and he's going, you're, um, what you doing? And I said, I'm trying to, you know, get this handstand, you know, handstand push-up thing sorted. And he's yeah. going, he's looking at me and he's going, he's looking at my body. He's going, mate, you're, you've got more strength than that. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I'm, I, I, it was, he didn't really understand it. I'm going, well, he goes, what's the fear? I said, well, I feel like I'm just going to career him and crash to the ground. You know, anyway, so he took me through a process and, and so the process was going, mate, where's the fear sitting? And, we talk through the whole what he refers to as his blockage busters technique, and it's like it's sitting in my stomach, and what's the concern? And anyway, there's a there's a process that I, I can't go into right now due to time. But mm. what he talked me through was the concept to go look: Are you prepared just to be able to address the fear, um, be able to acknowledge it, um, and then find a way to potentially let it go? And that's sort of I've summarised a, a twenty minute process down into. For sure. 20 seconds, you know. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Going through that process, I went from not being able to do one to being able to punch out three um, up and down, you know. And, you know, I walked away and I was I was blown away and he was like, I thought that was going to happen, you know. <laughs> Definitely. But, you know, that once again, I, I go back to, to being able to address uh, those fears. So for me, that, that was, a, that was a, a big turning point because I go even, you know, at the age of what, what I've been then, roughly 40 years old, I still get the privilege of these experiences of, of learning these new new things, new skill sets and so forth. So, yeah, it was pretty profound for me. For sure, for sure. I mean, change your mindset, change your world, right? Yes. In, in many respects. And I think that's uh, it's a, a, a very insightful uh, or should I say an appropriate way to end what's been an insightful and an inspirational, in my opinion, podcast. Uh, and I really appreciate your time. But before we go, for the listeners who and the watchers on YouTube, we can see you, um, <laughs> who want to learn more about you, about yes. what you do here at Trainer HQ, tell us, you know, where we can find you, the links, all the best resources, you know, you mentioned podcast books, websites. Yes. And yeah. um, of course, I'll put all that in the description below for the listeners. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Look, the the, the, uh, the best place to start would be to um, come through and, and follow us on uh, any of our socials. So first of all, if I start with the website, it's uh, trainer-hq.com, um, and so from there that can that can take you through. But where we're where we're most predominant is we've got a very vibrant uh, Facebook community group. Mm -hmm, so any mm -hmm. people that you have that might be interested in coming and fitness professionals and people who want to learn about business, that'd be a great place to start. So inside our our Trainer HQ Facebook community. Um, and then our also our YouTube channel does have a, a significant amount of uh, free content on there for people to digest and to learn. And we've got our podcast as well. So yeah, the um, I guess from our perspective, we just try and make as much content as available for people as possible. Yeah, no, for sure. And yeah. and as ever, I will I will link that down below. And I would urge all of you listening to check it out, whether you are a new trainer to the industry or even if you're in a different part of business and even the established ones, because there's always more to learn. And I uh, I can confirm there's a great knowledge here from the guys that are doing a, a phenomenal job. And I'm sure you'll be able to take something positive away. So Brad, thanks for your time, mate. I really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Mate, thank you for hosting as well. This has been <laughs> luxury. I've now spoiled. Um, and for everyone listening and 
watching. Thank you for your time. Again, we really appreciate it. Make sure if you're on YouTube, like, comment, let us know what did you like, what do you want to know more of. And of course, subscribe, hit that bell icon. And if it's safe to do so on iTunes, Spotify, or any other media player, and you're not driving, leave us a rating and a review because it helps this channel grow. And me and Brad get to help more people along with all of the other guests. And as always, until the next episode, stay fearless.